0: Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos, where we present tips, tools, and techniques to help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, Licensed Mental Health Counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This channel and the Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like the information, please subscribe to my channel. And share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. This episode of Calming the Chaos is airing live on YouTube. And we are talking with Francie White and Maria Ripo about finding meaning through all of this chaos that's going on in the world today. Francie White is a doctor of philosophy. She is a philosopher and a theorist, and she specializes in the psychology of eating, exercise, and body image. And she has worked with authors Anita Johnson and Janine Roth. And Maria Repo will also be joining us. Maria is in the Northwest, and we went to hypnotherapy school together. She's pursuing her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. She has completed a program in transpersonal psychology, and she specializes in eating disorders and trauma. I am just so happy to bring you both of these dear women who are going to help us to find meaning through chaos let's take a listen hello and welcome to calming the chaos on youtube live today on monday the 5th of april i hope everybody is doing well i'm so glad to see some chatters in our chat and i just wanted to tell you all that i'm so excited about our two guests today And if you have any questions or any comments, please feel free to chat about them. We will try and get to all of them. We just have a really great show for you here today because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is finding meaning in your life. And one of the reasons that I developed this Calming the Chaos podcast was because I wanted to help people to find self-help sort of tools and tips to manage their emotional overwhelm. And so that was part of the reason why I even developed this channel in the first place. It had a lot of meaning. It's It has a lot of meaning to me. And so we are gonna be talking with Francie White and uh, she is a doctor of philosophy and has worked for many, many years in the fields of philosophy, eating disorders, treatment, body image, body positivity, femininity. And if you uh, didn't get a chance to visit her website, it's in the description of this uh, video. She has an awesome story and her website, you could probably just stay on there for hours. It's just so in, informative. And she's actually worked with one of my heroes, Janine Roth. And uh, so she's she's uh, one of those veterans in the field. And so I'm great. I'm really uh I think it's a great addition to have on the show. And then we have my uh, my personal friend and colleague, Maria Ripo, and she and I went through hypnotherapy school together. And it's so exciting to see her grow and be here uh, today. Uh, so before we begin, I just wanted to, again, thank people here in the live chat for participating with us. Your conversation is extremely appreciated. We'd really like to see respect in the chat. So anybody who is disrespectful, our wrenches will wrench you out and or encourage you to make constructive and respectful comments in the future. So we're, re- we're really not going to be looking at a whole lot of chat right now. We're just going to be concentrating on our guests. I do- I do want to call attention to a couple of TED Talk links that I put in the description for this video. And so the first one is Dr. Alan Watkins, and he is the founder of Complete Coherence. And he talks about the importance of emotions and emotional avoidance and how we, we, we tend to want to avoid the question, what does my life mean? What does my life have meaning for and how we do that how we avoid it is through all kinds of different means you know we can use food we can use numbing agents such as drugs and alcohol to avoid that question and he talks about exactly why we avoid meaning in our lives And the second one is Michael Steger. He is an associate uh, professor of psychology in Colorado State University. And so he talks about what exactly makes your life meaningful. And so those are sort of supplements. And I love this because we're talking about meaning today. And I saw these two TED Talks that I have loved. They're, They're for a couple of years old but they are still very valuable to listen to. So if you'd like to have a supplemental to this conversation, there are your resources. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up my guests, Francie White and Maria Ripo, and we're going to talk about meaning.
1: And here's Francie. Hello, thank you for having me. It's so good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you all the way in Santa Barbara area, California, and sunny weather. And I love hearing about southern, sunny weather. We're having a bit of it today.
1: Good deal.
0: Yeah, Spring
1: here, right?
0: I think so. I heard some doves, uh, in, and having doves in Washington is a kind of a, a little bit of a novelty. So when I heard them, I was thinking, yeah, there's got to be warmer weather coming. So. And so here's our second guest, Maria Rippo. Hi, Maria. Hello. I'm enjoying this sunny day along with you in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Finally. Right. Especially after it rained yesterday. We are so bipolar here in the Northwest, aren't we? The bipolar Pacific Northwest. Yep. Exactly. It's so good to have both of you here. Where do we want to start with this? I think we were, we were going to have Francie start about like, what is the meaning of meaning? And why are we having such a deficit of it? Why is it so important? Do you want to just kind of take the reins on that Francie or
1: start where you'd like to? I would love that. And I, I think to be clear, we're talking today about what I'll describe as a felt sense of meaning versus let's say the meaning of a piece of art or the meaning in some joke that we didn't get. But rather this this emotional signal that's actually from the depths of our soul that comes through us in a cascade of sort of what is a felt sense of meaning? A sense of quickening or enlivening or a sudden super interest that surges through us. I was thinking when I was reading the paper this morning or reading on my iPad, you know, what one thumbs through that's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can hit a part that comes alive for us. And so what's meaningful to any one of us is very unique to our particular temperament, our psychology, and even deeper, our unconscious, our soul's code. And I, I see a I felt sense of meaning as a signaling from our inner life that we're in very important territory that actually can form the breadcrumbs to keep our attention going, our curiosity up. And there's something to that that we're being informed by that we might know to pay attention to. I think the, the last thing I'll say about that is that You know, with other emotional signals like sadness or anger or fear, we're we're used to being asked to pay attention to those. But for some reason, the topic of felt meaning is kind of sidelined. We don't really say, oh, how is your sense of purpose and wonder today? But there is this overall kind of cascade of emotions that signal that, oh, wow, that person really was fast, like something about that was meaningful for me and how unique and variant that is for each of us to, to pay attention to.
0: Well, I guess that's that's true on some levels. I don't know that a lot of people are aware that it might be missing. Like we're just going through each day and doing what we
1: do, but maybe it doesn't have any meaning. Right, so we're also in a crisis Um, And and I'm going to say a little more on the broad strokes about meaning and let Maria really add in a lot of very important stuff about uh, more personal relationship to meaning. But I'm interested in the fact that we're in a culture at a time in the evolution of consciousness, actually, where uh, many, many authors are describing a crisis in a felt sense of meaning throughout the world or industrialized world. And I'm gonna talk a little bit later about why that is true. But what I was interested in is, is not always pathologizing, kind of this loss of sense of meaning, what's the point of life? What's, you know, what are we doing here? Lots of my clients and workshop participants and certainly I've had phases of feeling like, what's that point, you know? And mm-hmm. it turns out there are- for that, that have to do with our evolution, like I said, of where we are as, as a consciousness, what's going on with our deeper mind. And also, um, we'll see with our left and right hemispheres and how they attune to reality. Um, so we are, we are in a crisis. And we have some great ideas about shifting out of that in this hour. Right. What did you the the consciousness awareness
0: or the, the the rising of the consciousness, does that mean that we are becoming more aware that we lack meaning in our lives and we are searching for it more, Francie? Is that what
1: you're trying to say? Well, I think really when I when I look at at least my clients and, and many many associates and friends, they have given up sort of there's sort of a, a, a laissez faire sort of a malaise about Life in the sense of just having sort of resigned to this loss of meaning, Um, this loss of aliveness, this loss of sense of wow, that really meant something to me. And um, so it's actually something that many seekers are looking for more, certainly through spirituality, through therapy, but it's also much more about understanding that our soul came in, as James Hillman describes, kind of with a soul's code. And that means we all came in with a certain temperament, a certain set of interests and affinities and things we're really bad at. That's part of our soul's code. Like, um, And so we are guided by a surging sense of curiosity and wonder that's evoked by life, um, but Unfortunately, the, uh, the way we're working with our brains these days is much more hooked to, I'll, I'll say this now, our, our left hemisphere, mm. who's much more sort of a taskmaster, uh, not really a meaning deliverer. It's much more of a get through the email, get things done, check my list off, go to the grocery store, da 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 da. Well, it turns out it's our right hemisphere. That is the home source of meaningful connectedness within Mm -hmm. ourselves. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll talk a little more about how to switch that.
0: Right. I would love some explanation about the brain, because I get the left and the right always get them mixed up. And so that would be great to clarify. Maria, do you have anything to add about what does meaning mean for you? And is there a deficit that you see in the people who you work with?
2: Yeah, I mean, this has been a driving question of the philosophers of all time, right? Like what really creates meaning? And I think there's lots of different ideas about what creates meaning and um, something that I really relate with with Francie is this that our soul has a code and we come in and and the way that I see it is that we are, our soul is encoded with the potential of who we are here to become not meaning like as far as success and achievement and but this code of potential of how life wants to express through us as us. But there's this necessary forgetting too, because here we just got like uh, plopped into this skin suit and we have to develop an ego (laughs) and learn how to survive in this world. And so we have to really forget a lot. And um, but I believe that we are encoded with a story a myth, a personal myth that wants to come through us, and that that sense that something is missing is actually really necessary. But in my experience of myself, and I'll tell my little story about my existential crisis of what is the effing point of this existing thing, um, that I I hear it. I hear it all the time, I think that we get attached onto this like something is missing and then that feels like the end of the story, like there's no meaning. And we have no idea because we don't really have guides to show us the way, whereas in Indigenous cultures, there were guides to show them the way through, um, you know, like when we have a life crisis or an existential crisis or a spiritual crisis or major loss, um, we really lack, I believe, in our current culture, and this is what I see over and over again, is my clients coming to me feeling like something is wrong with them because they're struggling. Like they don't know how to navigate this, um, the hard parts of being in a skin suit. So when when I, 10 years ago, I was really Humpty Dumpty. I was just a person in pieces. We had had so many huge life experiences of loss and devastation and I was just left like not knowing what way was up or down and I didn't know who I was I I couldn't even function that well to be honest and that was what led me to find a teacher because I knew that I needed somebody to help me like I didn't know how to do this and um, I found that's when I found my first teacher John and when I started working with him, I had this huge realization that caused me to start questioning everything I ever had thought was real, including who I was. And um, so I started doing some real healing work with him. But I remember one time talking to him and just saying, John, what is even the point? Like, why? Why? keep going? Why even exist? I don't get it. I just don't get what the point is. It's hard, you know? And he said something to me like, here's the deal. Life wants to express through you as you in a way that has never been expressed before and will never be expressed again. And it's your job here to discover how life wants to express through you as you. And if you cease to exist, you're going to have to do this all over again. (laughs) And and that was like enough motivation for me to go, okay. And and that really, like, that's kind of the beginning of the hero's journey. In the hero's journey, we're called... onto the journey and we resisted. It's like, I don't want this, but then there's a surrendering. And that was when I surrendered and became curious actually and stopped fighting so hard. Up until then I had fought life so hard, but it was interesting to me to think about this story wanting to unfold through me as me. And so, Hmm. yeah.
0: Wow. I love that. And I love that you bring up that there, there aren't a whole lot of teachers and In indigenous cultures. We have those teachers, those wise men and women, um, medicine people to lead us into these areas. And I like to think that us, you know, the three of us and, and others as well as healers, that we are doing that we are helping other people and even with this podcast are helping other people to find their way some somehow, uh, whatever that might lead to. So yeah, Francie, anything to add onto that? Can I say something really quick to that? That's, I,
2: I would say, that's kind of the next little part of my story is that I, as a result of having gone through that complete falling apart, um, What I found, what I find so much meaning is, is really meeting people in their pain and in their dark places and in their lostness and being that, you know, just getting to walk beside them through that to find meaning, you know, to find the wisdom in it, to find the teaching in the pain.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Anything to add to that,
1: Francie? I love that, finding the teaching in the pain. Holy, I can completely add to that. So in the anxiety disorder, I ended up having sort of suddenly come upon me in uh, I was about 20 and it was quite severe. It followed a single um, LSD psychedelic um, experience about six months later, um, triggered by a very, very huge loss. But anyway, I ended up, with the most insane symptoms at a time. So this was in the, gosh, uh, 19, mid-70s when going to a psychiatrist wasn't even really a normal thing. Um, And I didn't, the word anxiety disorder didn't exist in my world. I'm, you know, 19, 20. Now it's so common. Um, And so I, I was very, very sick and I had... Extremely unusual symptoms, the floor was on a slant like for a whole year, I couldn't, I got phobic of places that I'd had anxiety attacks so I couldn't go over bridges, I couldn't get in elevators, I couldn't fly, but I did, I pushed myself through, that made it worse. Anyway, bottom line was, I finally practically grabbed my psychiatrist by the throat and demanded to know what, was why those symptoms? Why was I, why was the floor on a slant? Why was I seeing patterns? Well, that was the LSD. It had kind of come back and landed in my brain, but um, it turned out he helped me decode the symptoms and they had meaning. And what happened was I went from thinking my worst nightmare has happened. I have in fact lost my mind because my mother had, um, severe depression and was, was hospitalized, taken away and pretty much never saw her again kind of thing. So my worst fear was going crazy. Here I was, a different kind of crazy, but um, living a nightmare, truly, um, with very little help. But I did, The psychiatrist agreed to see me at a sliding scale and he took symptom by symptom and decoded the meaning of why would I be afraid of a bridge? It wasn't so much about heights, it turned out. It was a a fear of not having a place to pull over and therefore you're forced to keep going and that turned out to be a metaphor for some childhood issues, whatever. The, The thing that was exciting was that when the symptoms themselves ended up not just being an aberrant insanity, but actually had specific guide to a place in my past that I could then heal, the universe then I realized was meaningful. In other words, it also meant on the biggest scale that this isn't just an abysmal mass of crazy void, you know, emptiness, but that there was an intelligence operating. If it was operating for me, it had to be operating for everything. And that is, um, was, a, was a huge step in my search for helping others find the meaning in their pain, like you, Maria, in their specific insane symptoms. It turns out a lot with food, with binging, starving, purging, whatever, body image distortion. Um, but to know that we're not alone there's a bigger, vast interconnected intelligence to the cosmos, actually that um, ends up winding its way through our consciousness and into our own, through our pain, like you said, Maria, it changed my life, and I've gone from you know no trust in in there being meaning to anything to absolute trust in even a really bad day.
0: Yeah. I love how both of you described the fact that you did have people to help you. So John was helping Maria go through those dark places and find what it was that she was the you know, why what is the effing point of this whole thing, anyway? And and that Francie, you had your psychiatrist to decode, like to spend that time with you to help you decode what what is meaning, what what does this all mean anyway? These experiences that we have in our lives. What do they mean? And how am I, what's my purpose? What's my value here? So, wow. So I hope that our audience has a pretty good understanding of what meaning means and how it showed up in in both of your lives at this point in time, for sure. Uh, Do you have anything else to add, either one of you, about meaning and how much it has meant to you to find it?
1: Well, I feel in the
0: part- Oh, go ahead.
1: Go ahead, Maria. You go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to comment on what you had said. I feel like it is one of the most important things that we can do is instead of pathologizing what's happening with somebody is to really get curious and become a detective and give purpose. It's happening for a reason. It's here as a messenger. And I really believe that that's all part of this Um you know, we have to construct this ego to survive. We have to construct this this survival system. We don't construct it. I don't know who constructs it. It gets constructed um, in order to survive in a body, and we get very attached to our conditioning of who we think we're supposed to be, how we think we're supposed to be, all the ways that we think we're not what we're supposed to be, and. I believe that those symptoms are serving to help us dismantle everything that isn't really us so that we can come back home to the truth of who we are and why we're here. And I don't know how Francie and I got so blessed to find these people that knew how to do this. I just, I feel so much gratitude. Um, Yeah. So I think that was just a really, really important point. Because when we're looking at our symptoms, thinking that it means something about us, like that we're crazy, who that yeah. makes it more crazy. <laughs>
0: well it's- do do one of you want to do do one of you want to talk about how you two met? And because that actually that relationship must have meaning as well, right? As we're on the subject.
1: Yeah, I'd like to start with that because it also ties into uh, what I want to say about the the positive, not only finding meaning so importantly through our pain and dismantling the shame of whatever addiction or struggle or neuroses or psychoses we're in. And we're talking about, you know, trusting and daring to decode that with finding some help, but also the on the positive side of what crazy interests we have so this is going to lead to how I met Maria Um, but I just had this um, super I don't know I was originally a dietitian with a lot of rebellion I just have that's my nature I very uh, authority not pleasing I just uh, I love rules if they make if they matter if there's a reason for them but unnecessary rules you know Um, I'm uh, restless and a little more impulsive and creative, whatever. So as a dietitian back in the 80s and 90s where we were stuck in a box telling people uh, what to eat and not eat, and I began through my own recovery, also now working in a multidisciplinary world of therapy, I was immersed in Jungian psychology and became immersed in Kind of the anthropology of the feminine, like more about the history of really what the um, not feminine as in women, but what the ancestral feminine lineage wisdom had been, and just got fascinated that, for example, when God is a goddess, when when there's a, a deity whatever the gender of that deity is that that the culture will tend to honor and respect that gender more than the other so if there's a goddess or feminine based culture spiritually there tends to be a lot of reverence for the female her sexuality is you know honored not abused and she's in charge as priestesses were were the ones dictating Uh, how things went, let's say, for the suitors who dared have an opportunity to be blessed by their touch, you know. And so, and then how the patriarchy came in, all this, you know, history winding along. So I thought, I have got to start teaching this stuff to women, uh, professionals in the field. Because underlying disordered eating and body image, there's a lot going on that has more to do with the anthropological history of the different eras of time we've been in. And I wanted to bring that in along with um, some of the non-diet work, which through Janine Roth's uh, work at the time, way back. So I decided to start these workshops now that was an, a new thing now workshops and retreats are very common and but in dietitian circles and I invited therapists they were very new and um, I've been introduced to storytelling so uh, there were myths told and acted we drummed we danced but we also did intensive uh, you know circles of didactic teaching that were really powerful the latest theories on, on eating disorders. And those have been, they were a real meaningful you know, I had this urge and I said to people, I will do these whether anyone comes. And people came and they have been going on ever since. And so I met Maria when she courageously signed up for one of these and attended. And she just stood out of the of the group with this life force. And already a lot of, she already knew a lot of what we were teaching and could just take it from there. So you want to add your side of the story?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember I just couldn't believe that you, I I was a little afraid. Here I was getting my master's degree in transpersonal counseling psychology, and I'm like, oh, gosh, all these therapists and clinicians and what are they gonna think? And you know, there was definitely this insecurity (laughs) and having, and just really walking into the unknown. And I, well, I knew Anita Johnston. And so I knew there was some um, resonance. I just didn't know what I was stepping into. And I just remember like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like these people speak my language they get healing on the level that I get healed or like the same kind of process that I've been through. And I didn't even know that existed. I mean, so I was so excited. And the way that I actually heard about Francie was that I've been working with emotional eating, compulsive overeating for a long time. And I noticed this pattern in every single client. They were exercise resistant. They could not get themselves to go outside and and just walk up the driveway and back. And so I asked Anita Johnston, Dr. Anita Johnston if she knew anything about this, like what is going on? And she said, I know somebody who knows all about it. And it was Francie. And so that was just like Francie was talking earlier, Like. We're just kind of encoded with the things that are gonna light us up and and catch our interest. And I was like, I have to meet Francie White. She, <laughs> you know, because I had done research. I had searched all around for somebody who maybe knew about what was going on. I mean, clearly it was a thing, and nobody was writing about it. So I came thinking, oh, I'm gonna learn about exercise resistance and how to you know, work with that with my clients. And I was just blown away. I felt like I found my people. <laughs> you know, it's very exciting. <laughs>
1: wow,
0: what a cool story. And i would never heard that before. So yeah. And so Francie, are you still offering those sorts of uh, retreats or groups, uh, even yes, with absolutely. the COVID and the pandemic?
1: Right, we had to take a break, we were headed to Greece and had to cancel that. But as soon as we can, um, anyone interested, just put your email in the chat and we will put you on the list. Wow. We don't bombard awesome. people with, emails. but yeah, we are. Yeah.
0: And I think is there, there is a, a, a get to know me or contact information on your website too. If you go onto your website, there is a, there is a tab there that, that you, they can contact you if they're interested in in the future Absolutely. retreat. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. And now that you've connected and here you are, you've kind of found your people, uh, Maria and, and and Francie, you've been doing all this, this great work. What do you have to share with us? Like maybe if there's somebody out there or people out there who are now just sort of becoming aware that, yeah, you know, maybe my life does lack meaning. What is the next step that a person can do when they just sort of become
1: aware that their life lacks meaning well I'll, I'll give again i'll go back to the broad strokes just to put our whole culture in perspective because for me it was helpful when i was studying my uh for my phd in philosophy and reading all of this stuff to, to have it normalized that we're in a crisis of felt meaning and have been for oh boy you know a good a good coming on 100 years, a century. Um, and so, long story, I'm going to try to make a long story short. One of the factors has to do with where we are as, a, as conscious human beings that have a consciousness. Um, and what consciousness is, is um, I'm using it as just a, the, the vitalizing life force awakened awareness that we have a capacity for, to be aware of being aware. And we, we don't even know or realize how meaningful it is that we're actually aware, like we're here, we're awake. Like sometimes I just sit and marvel over the fact that I don't remember where I signed on the dotted line to be awake in this, as you said, skin bag, earth suit, you know, but the fact we just get up and go about our day without being plugged into a wall—you know—we're not AI. We're alive. Like, what the hell? So, um, the throughout hum, human evolution, throughout hundreds of thousands of years, we've been in other times where the way our consciousness what existed we experienced a lot more meaning according to the art artifacts and many things that depict that Um, through stages of a more mythical stage that we just left. And we are now in this super hyper-rational, super hyper-rational, logical, linear time where things need to be proven. It's all got to be evidence-based. I'm grateful for evidence-based. If I, you know, have something I need to have evidence for, for sure. Um, but life has—we've moved out of our hearts, and um, the reference for this would be Jean Gebser and, and all the followers of Gene Gebser and many, many others. But um, we've at a particular stage where we've gone up into our mind, and not only our beautiful, amazing mind, but we've moved to the left hemisphere. And the left hemisphere has a particular experience of, of a given moment. So we're just going to talk for a moment about living through the left, left hemisphere and the way that feels and Then, when we happen to be more living through the attention of our right hemisphere and the way that feels. So we're at a time in our evolution where we crawled up into kind of a disembodied mind. Like we often notice, like I feel like my mind is dragging my body around. And yes, a lot of that is fed by our technological life. But actually what happened is technology was created as a result of this hyper rational. So that's the good side for whatever good technology offers us. Um, It's the product of this particular stage of evolution, which thankfully we're, we're le- moving on from. So I'll make sure I'll talk about that in a bit. So our, our let me say where our, our right hemisphere, and this is the work of Ian McGilchrist, I-A-I-N-M-C-G-I-L-C-H-R-I-S-T, and his nearly impossible to read gorgeous book, The Master and His Emissary, But where he's very accessible is on his YouTube interviews. He's completely easy to understand. And he is a psychiatrist um, out of Oxford that has just done amazing work. And he's made this whole subject so alive that our right hemisphere is really our home base. It's where we experience meaning. It's where it's, it's connected to our body and to sensation. It's the part of us that stops and lives in the moment and perceives the rustling of the trees, the subtleties in nature. It's the part of us that experiences metaphor. So all of art is pretty much metaphor, a poem, a piece of, um, you know, painting, a sculpture. We can interpret it. It can feed back to us, you know, we feedback through our our actual art expression. Um, when we're reflecting and musing in any given moment, brainstorming ideas, insights, all of that's right brain. And um, so basically, that's kind of where we want to be. And um, lastly, the right hemisphere is the perceiver of certainly the felt experience of meaning, but also the subtleties in nature, the shifts in weather, things that make us quicken and come alive. So life is inherently meaningful. If you're sitting, you know, you live in a one room cabin somewhere, you can wait, you know, you don't need to have the career of the century. You can feel uh, a sense of meaning and awe and wonder just being alive through the right hemisphere. It's where we meditate, da da da. But our culture right now values what the left hemisphere does so much that it keeps bumping us over. And so the left hemisphere is our test master. It's who gets our email, it's who can sit and solve a problem. It can, like I said, go to the grocery store. It's what I, my example is when I'm, ha- I'm having guests this evening. And I try to stay in my right brain. I'm going to create this lovely meal and make the house fun. What music? But no, I start getting fanatic about getting things perfect. Um, And that's where the left hemisphere is a taskmaster. It's also very perfectionistic and very critical. It's very negative. So it kind of drives off dopamine and I start going and the next thing I know, I see everything wrong with the house. I'm no longer having fun, forget these friends, it's all about what they think. That's where we get into our left hemisphere, doing our email, waking up and interfacing with technology, et cetera. So um, my anecdote for that is to help people just know, you have a home over here that also the left hemisphere wants to stay in charge. So once it's going, it clamps down and won't shift out. You know, I have to drag myself and sit down on the couch and say, Francie, we want to be having fun. What's the point? Having fun, right? So it takes about five minutes to get the adrenaline out of my system to settle down, not get up and dust that corner of the cobweb that I just saw, and remember the bigger picture and get perspective. So we can all do that, but it's not easy because that left hemisphere is driven by that dopamine and wants to do, do, do. I can get more done now. I can get more done now. What are they going to think of me? That's going to be so cool. I'm going to be like, no. So um, my my... Lastly, then, anecdotes for that are, especially when we get up in the morning, we're very sensitive to which side we're going to live our day through. And so I like to encourage people to start the day with some sort of art form. Put on the music. Um, I can read a poem and shift myself because I like poetry and the metaphors is something larger than life or going outside and getting into nature, even if it's freezing, bundle up. My partner bundles in a thousand blankets and sits outside. So shifting to start the day in your right hemisphere can change the whole day. The other, if you start with getting email, you're screwed. Because once that left gets charged, it's going to keep going, keep going, keep going. So starting with the right, then moving to the left and intervening with right. Um, anytime we go from future thinking to I have got to get in the present moment, and that takes about five or 10 minutes. That's not a quick present moment.
0: Hmm. Um, I have a question for you, Francie. We go ahead. Sorry.
1: Okay.
0: I have, I have to ask you this. I was just so
1: thinking. put on opera, take your.
0: <laughs> well, how about those people? I have a lot of clients who they wake up. The first thing they do is they go to their phone. They don't even get out of bed. They just pick up their phone or they look up, uh, they, they watch the news or they look at their Google feed. Is that more of a right or a left brain or hemisphere sort of a task when, when people do that?
1: That's 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 engaging the left and that is going to cause distress, adrenaline, dopamine in a way that keeps one driven toward not good for meaning.
0: Yeah. yeah. When you said that about the email, like like that is that is not good. I was thinking, huh? Well, then what about this? It's probably. I was thinking it was on the the along the same lines, but wasn't sure. So thank you for confirming that. Well, I guess we we all can kind of be mindfully aware of how we wake up and greet the day. Then right?
1: Right. And then people can find their own tricks to keep them in a bit of awe and wonder and this is all about perspective but it is knowing that your brain is hardwired for a felt sense of meaning but we actually have to feed the side of the brain the part of us the wholeness the sense of um, interconnectedness however we each learn to get that and that's how we you do it through trial and error what do you mm-hmm. think maria
2: yeah, I um I was thinking as you were talking about something that my yoga asana teacher um says so much and it has been so corrective for me because that taskmaster in me likes to say you're getting it wrong and you need to get it right and then I just panic and I can't think. Like this is what happens to me. And even in the night last night, you know, this I was the same thing like I knowing that this was happening today. Stepping into the unknown and knowing that I have no idea what's going to happen. And really, I just need to let it come through. But my left brain thinks I need to know what to say. I need to write it all down. I need to get it right. She says often in yoga class, you're not getting it wrong and you don't need to get it right. And the first time I heard that was like, really? (laughs) What if that was true? I'm not getting it wrong. Oh, my God. What?
0: that's part of the journey right and and how we learn and the the whole divine lesson of the whole thing is is getting it wrong sometimes or or you know and i guess if you believe in accidents which i don't happen to believe in accidents it's all a teaching experience right
2: richard Rohr, i love richard Rohr. i don't know if you guys have heard of him but he's a franciscan priest and he said um we we learn much more by getting it wrong than by getting it right. And he says we move forward like a speed skater. We go side to side. We go off track, on track, off track, on track, off track. Like that's what's normal. It's not normal to just make a decision and then it's just like this straight line to the to the you know outcome. It's not mm-hmm. how it works. But our left brain society tells us
1: that. So we just live in shame. We live in so much I shame. Wanted- validate that when i'm listening especially to my young women clients who are now so driven by externalization right so there's a standard they want to meet a body they want to have a look they want to have a way they want to look and and one of them was saying i i i how does she say this i have to have it all together whatever that is, that always really sends an alarm. Have it all together. Um, That's left brain. And I have to make it look like it was easy. I have to make it look effortless because the magazine show with the lit candle and the journal open, I have to look like I'm one of those yoga, spiritual people or whatever executive people or whatever it is and I have to make it look effortless. So even that, making right brain life look right,
2: Mm. what our culture tries to do. It's called an anxiety disorder. I mean, really like I just get anxiety. (laughs) I was that way. I mean, that was me before I fell apart. It's funny for me to look back at pictures because I'm like, oh my God, I had to put on this facade of perfection, because I really believed I was damaged and bad, and people were going to find out, and then I was going to be rejected and alone and, you know, miserable. And so I, I was obsessed with having my house perfect, my kids perfect, my body perfect, m- my food I fed people perfect, and it nearly killed me. I mean, really, mm. it's, it's amazing that I'm even here talking today. But um, something that I wanted to say too, where w- with Francie's example of getting ready for the party, I really think that this is so key in finding meaning is that something that's happening in Western culture is that we haven't been taught not to run away from our pain or our discomfort. And so, um, I spent my whole life and I still find myself trying to run away from my pain, but really, um, The wisdom is hidden, the treasure, the medicine is hidden in the pain in the wound. And so, so much of it is turning towards um, our pain, which often means turning towards the part of ourself that we have deemed um, not deserving of existing. And that's really where the hero's journey comes in is there's like this descent into what we've been running away from through all manner of, you know, distraction. I'm still working on that all the time. It's just coming into the present moment. It's amazing the angst that we feel of just existing in this skin suit and being in the present moment. I mean, really, for real. And if we can just even connect with the anxiety of existing and just little by little start titrating and expanding our ability to just be present mm-hmm. that's uncomfortable right and that's a lot of the reason we can never find meaning because if this story is within us that's wanting to unfold that will will um, give us this sense of fulfillment and open us to wonder and awe if that's inside of us and we're always running away from ourselves we can't we can't find it and it's understandable that we run away nobody has taught us how to be in the discomfort or sit with us while we're in it. So
1: who wants to feel it? Oh, um, I was gonna say, but Maria, it's not being productive. So if we're saying pain, um, we're not getting enough done, and what's our value, come on. Right, I know, yeah, so there's a lot, there's so
2: much messaging that is counter to us connecting with our authentic self, which is the only place we can find meaning. We are, we are really sort of possessed by this conditioning that we're never enough through the advertising industry especially, but I mean, everywhere we look, you know, we need to be this, we need to be this, we need to be everything. We need we, It's like we get this message that everything we are is what we need to not be.
0: Mm. <sighs> Well, do you have any suggestions about how people might want to find meaning? I, I know that you've mentioned, you two have uh, are very well read, and you both have men- mentioned a couple of different authors, people who are on YouTube, and things that maybe people can connect with and say, yeah, that is that really sort of fits the essence of me, and I want to find out a little bit more about that. Do you two have any suggestions about how people who are listening to this podcast might find more meaning in their lives?
2: I have a couple I'll books. You, oh. <laughs> you <do. laughs> no, book First, I'll just, so this, for anybody who's really interested in this whole idea of the hero's journey, this book by Carol S. Pearson, Awakening the Heroes Within is amazing. Um, and of course, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning is one of my favorites. Um, and then Francie had mentioned The Soul's Code. This is There's actually a book that talks about that. Um, and one more is called The Power of Meaning. And she doesn't really talk about the hero's journey, but the same kind of idea. I mean, I think most of anyone who really comes to any sense of where we find meaning um, really has a similar message actually about that, that meaning comes through our trials and challenges and losses and life happening on life's terms in a different way than we were planning for it to.
1: Hmm. so yeah. true those are great resources um what was i gonna say i w- would encourage people if you to explore And trust, like what makes you come to life? And so with, for example, with, with journaling, getting away from, I had a nice day yesterday to free writing, wild mind writing, we're trying to get to the unconscious to let the unconscious talk. So after five minutes of just no, don't care about spelling, ask yourself, what's missing for me? Is, or a prompt. Ask yourself. Use a prompt that you might want, and keep writing. Fifteen minutes later, we start to see in the you know the latter part of that kind of writing some answers popping through. I also notice, like I I go to the different people's houses and I have different experiences with people. Notice what speaks to you and what just doesn't. It doesn't have to be what other people find. I noticed, I was telling my friend, your house, when I go in it, it's not all perfect and put together. But There's food cooking, there's a bunch of herbs on the counter, you know, there's half done garden, there's, everything's in process. There's a half painted painting. There's something that's meaningful for me in that environment. It wouldn't be for somebody else. Maybe Martha Stewart would find it appalling. But I guess it's, Start to wonder and notice where you get curious and come to life. What kind of music, what kind of books, what kind of art, or any of that? Hopefully, you're engaging with some of that. Um, What niches do you find fascinating? Like, I've always just been obsessed with the meaning of life, you know, since I was little. I kept wondering through my Catholic you know, the walls of the Catholicism past that. And um, I wanted to know, where was God? Where did we come from? Well, is there God really? I mean, others don't think existentially and I was irritating to people, you know, and I had to respect that isn't really where they get meaning. So your sense of what kind of interests you, what niches are extremely important to follow, Mm. what if
0: what if a person is interested in something that's like considered like darkness like crime or doing like like people doing evil and stuff like that what do you have to say about people who have meaning and meaningful attachments to uh, like those people who commit crimes and do dark things
1: For me, I would say to engage that in legal ways, right? And to explore, read those books about that, do the really dark art, Mm -hmm. self-inquiry around what is it that I have a a client that comes to mind I won't talk about, but really um, that um, people might be shocked by what he finds super fascinating I mean, it's very dark, but there's no harm to anyone. And that's important that people not do anything that, you know, to anyone underage without consent, all that good stuff. But there's something really important in that darkness
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, it is part of passion. And and I, I wanted to bring it up because of that. Yeah. Don't, don't harm yourself. Don't harm anybody else. Don't break the law. Don't damage property, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people, uh, especially that I've seen on YouTube, have have veered toward some some kind of darkness and it, like doing harm to people, doing harm to creators like me and others who are just trying to do good in in YouTube land. I've got a couple of people in our chat here who have been creators or are creators who are trying to spread some light and have just gotten completely lambasted by some people on YouTube who either through oh. envy or through just malice have just tried to tear them down. And so I just thought maybe a couple of words of encouragement for for them, either you or Maria, people out there who are just trying to put good in the world and trying to shine their lights, so to speak, is there any kind of words of wisdom that you, you two could offer?
2: I wonder if that's like, you know, people feel so disconnected from each other. And as you were saying that I was just trying to imagine a person that maybe doesn't have something else in their life that, um, draws them and for some reason they feel a sense of connection, like maybe they feel a sense of connection with other people that are online, you know, trying to bring people down or something. Maybe it's like a misdirected attempt at feeling a sense of
0: belonging and purpose. Yeah, yeah, very possible. Uh, Yeah. So your thoughts, Francie, or anything
1: else to add? Absolutely. I mean, the sense of insecurity, the level of loss of sense of self, and the absolute agony of feeling as isolated and cut off, as one does in our now non-tribal, well, now we're forming sub-tribes, but what we had in past eras of life is we had a sense of belonging, much less a sense of individual self, much more of a sense of the tribe being the collective. And without that, we're hardwired to be interconnected. And so people are suffering and the way that they can get a sense of power, false power through the ego is putting others down. It's, yeah. it's so transparent. Racism and prejudice are deep in security manifesting um, and certainly the sense of belonging that comes from being a member of a gang or got the Proud Boys or trolls online. Um, if only they really saw how easy it is to look through and and feel. I feel compassion for them, um, although at first just super frustrating for sure. Especially when my colleagues are getting hurt. It's really hard yeah you know we
2: we all three really quick we all three understand the victim triangle and i feel like they're in the persecutor role and why do we get in that role we're looking for emotional connection because as humans we have to have that to survive you know we and so they're they're getting something and like francie said we get on that triangle because it feels powerful but it's a it's a very
0: disempowering disempowering disempowered place to be do you two have time for a couple of questions? I've got one here from SJ. And she wants to know how your guests found uh, find the master's degree. Uh, her daughter has been accepted to do her master's. And this is in the UK at university. I just happen to know this person. So yeah, how how did you get your master's degrees. Uh, maybe you, you could uh, both uh, talk about that for just a, a bit.
1: Well, mine was in nutrition science, so that's a mute point. Uh, my PhDs in philosophy through the California Institute of Integral Studies that also offers master's degrees in a variety of elements of brands of psychology. So Maria?
2: Yeah, mine, I I really just found a program that was online that has the KCREP accreditation, which is really important for therapists. And um, I, it, I actually was referred to the program by a couple of other colleagues who had been through it. Great. And that's at Adams State University in Colorado. They've just celebrated their 100th
0: anniversary. It's a great school. I think I found mine because there was a local school here on the military base where people were going, and I was able to afford it. And it was a pretty good school. It was a Chapman University. Now it's Brandman. And it was a local school that I could actually drive through and, and go to. This was back in the, uh, the early 2000s. So I think just word of mouth and maybe searching online or uh, recommendations is how we find our programs. And sometimes we find too many programs and it's kind of hard to decide which one we want to go for. But um, I'm, I'm sure, SJ, that your daughter will find her way, whatever she's doing, um, she's got a pretty smart mom, so I think she'll go far. Then we've got a question here, or, just, or maybe a comment. Um, I wonder if right brain, left brain isn't also a metaphor. There's some recent research, perhaps, perhaps by left brain researchers, that seems to debunk the popular picture of hemisphere function. I don't know anything about that. And this is the first time really, well... I kind I kind of got to say I was educated, but probably went in one hemisphere and out the other. Yes. To be
1: honest,
2: <laughs> so so. I'll, do, yeah. I'll say too. This is my friend Hafizullah.
1: <laughs> He's a good friend oh, of mine. Oh he great. Has, yeah. So I'm. I wonder. He always has you good. Know, what happened was, as I understand it, the research into it, um, older research. There was a lot of debunking of all of this, and um, a lot of support. That the left brain, the left brain is really important. It's just that it's not, it's not home base. Um, if we have a true self, which um, you know, Buddhist theory debates whatever, um, if, if it's in the right hemisphere, it's 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 channeled through it. But the research that um, the theories of Ian McGilchrist are very new. I highly recommend the recent publication of Master and His Emissary and his recent podcast he's on the front lines and it's getting better it's kind of like looking at like anorexia nervosa is a a disorder that's highly left brain dominant um perfectionistic driven critical that it it helps give perspective to addiction and i think he's just coming out with a book on all the various neuroses and psychoses and where uh The problems may lie in a dominant area that's problematic in one or the other hemisphere. So I would say this is new stuff, not the old stuff that got debunked.
0: Yeah. Good comment.
2: Thanks. And it's like he's differentiating where, like you said, the right brain is more where the true self lives, and the left brain is more like that default setting that we get so gripped onto and identify with, but really isn't our true self. But right. Is that? I mean, I don't
0: know. It's more of what society expects us to do, and the the doing doing brain. And I think yes. the mindful the mindful way through depression talks about the doing the doing mode and the being mode. And I think yes. that that might also yes. illustrate. <laughs>
1: The left brain is the definitely the doing mode, and the right brain is where we're in being long. Like yeah. mm-hmm. the,
2: the masculine and the feminine that need yep. to get integrated. But mm-hmm. when you know one t- one or the other takes over, there's imbalance. That's yeah, I
1: debate right now with all the gender, you know, mm-hmm. important gender. So I'm a little yeah, but careful about how that gets divided up. But it's on a Jungian basis, the Jungian definition of the feminine principle and the masculine principle, one would say, I don't know, it's just tricky. That's a good point, yeah,
2: I'm actually glad that you said that, that is a good point.
0: There are traits that are uh, supposedly thought of as quote unquote masculine and others that are feminine And yeah, if so my for an example, my feminine side just sort of wants to ditch work and go out and pick flowers all day. And they would say that's inherently feminine or whatever. My masculine says, no, 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 you cannot do that. And I'm using the different sides here instead of left and right, because I was taught that the masculine is right and the feminine is left, but it makes no difference. The two can find an agreement. And that's what I built my, my company on and my business on is to be able to find harmony, unity, in agreement. And within the, the sides of you, uh, you know, the, the, the side that really needs to work and get all the tasks done, and then the part that wants to go pick flowers, you can find agreement within yourself, but you have to be able to be aware that there is even a conflict in the in, in order to be able to grant yourself that freedom to pick flowers and do grocery shopping. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe better
2: termed. Um, maybe we use yin and yang. Is that is that
0: more maybe uh, sensitive? Either way, I'm, I'm not really sure which is yin and which is yang. So you'd have to teach me that. <laughs> right. I got to learn what the, the left and the right are. And I know what divine, feminine, and masculine are. I just know that they are two different ways of seeing things that are both really necessary here in the way we oh, lo- yeah. live our lives. Not And either one should be overemphasized. And so we just need to find balance, I think.
1: Absolutely.
0: Here we are. Back at balance. Okay. Exactly. Well, I appreciated having both of you on today. Are there any last words, any plugs that you guys want to give any? I have both of your websites down uh, in the uh, description for this video. And we've given a lot. Timmy has actually put a lot of your references to speakers and writers in the chat. So people okay. will have those. Anything else that you'd
1: like to add? No, just trust yourself. You know, everyone just go there to trust and follow your, your meaning breadcrumbs that emerge from you and signal you forward. It's your life. That's what I have to say every day. This is my day. This is my hour. This is my, you know, not me, 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 but to claim it so that I can really...
0: Yeah. Maria?
2: Yeah, um one thing that I like to wake up and think is you know, it's just like look at my hands for some reason that helps me to go wow. I'm in this body right now. I'm in this life right now and I don't want to miss this golden opportunity. You know, what is it that I need to do or what can I do today to help me listen more? Like Frankie, uh, like Francie says, my niece is Frankie, like Francie says, is, um, it's that listening. It's that, it's the willingness to step into the unknown and trust.
0: Nice.
2: This story is unfolding. (laughs) It
0: is unfolding. It wants to unfold. Mm -hmm okay so so then um we like i guess that was part of what ted talk number two was about is that i think what he how he framed it was we have only so many moments here and you get to choose how you spend those moments he was mm-hmm. talking about how he proposed to his now wife and how um that she was like whoa you know when he asked pop the question uh, because what it meant to her is like you know, do you really want to spend your future moments with me? And that how big a question that is, and uh, how it is that people, some people don't even consider how they spend their moments. A lot of people will just sort of be on their phone and mindlessly uh, drift through things. I know I'm very guilty of that as well. And I'm going to try and be more aware of it. I'm also going to not listen to the news on my phone first thing before I get out of bed, because that's apparently not great for me, huh? Right, you got it. Yay. Oh, I'm so glad you could educate me, Warren. I would love to have the two of you back and and bring Anita with you or have Anita come back because or come come onto the show as well because I know I've met the three of you all. Well, Maria first, but the two of you, Francie and Anita, and you all seem like you're just so wonderful to just sort of hang out with. So I appreciate you guys <laughs> being you. on today and thanks for sticking around yeah. and asking answering questions. And uh, so, yeah, we will go ahead and uh, close. Thank you so much for uh, uh, being on Calming the Chaos, and we'll see you next time, hopefully. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If the information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. You can also go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com for more resources for calming your mental and emotional chaos. This includes a CD I created that teaches you how to practice mindfulness in less than 10 minutes. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.